The apostolic is a word that, um, that we must not use like we use the name of Jesus. Uh, the moment you say apostolic, then people must somehow stand at attention. The word is not for that. And so um, we just want today just to bring a clear understanding as to what this is. And, and there's a lot of information that I want to bring to you today. And so this morning I'm going to be like a lecturer and I'm going to teach you because of the volume of information that I want to share with you. And so we're going to read, uh, I've asked Teresa to read John chapter 9 verse 8 to 41. And truly I want you to read the whole chapter when you get home or during the week and just to study it because we want to use this chapter and, and bring some comparisons, delineations, metaphors, prophetic pictures, because it's always good to bring a picture before you explain something. That's why Jesus spoke in parables. That's why you tell your children stories, because in the relating of a story, you activate the imagination and the unseen vision, the unseen eyes of the person. The moment you see things, the moment someone speaks and you have a picture of it, you can, from the picture, make deductions. And from the picture, you can extrapolate, you can forecast, you can build up some kind of an expectation. And uh, that's why we love movies, isn't it? That's why we, are, we sometimes become actors in our own lives. <laughs> Uh, it's because of the, the beauty of the imagination of a person. And that is why we must never limit children from imagining. Young people must never feel that they, their imagination must have limits. Your imagination must go to ridiculous places. To places where you know in your flesh that this is impossible. But the scripture says what is impossible with man is possible with God. God wants you to dream big. God wants you to see the bigger picture. And when we have the resolve of always asking for the bigger picture, we will save ourselves a lot of trouble. For instance, when... When there's a conflict in your life, or when there's a weakness, there's a failure, there's a setback, there's a disappointment. When all of these things happen to you, just stand back and say, what is the bigger picture of all of these things that are happening here? And in the standing back, it's like you are enlarging your vision. It's taking a step back. I have a, a greater periphery now. Because now I can see on the sides where, where I stood before, I could not have seen. But that's what a step back does. People must realize that stepping back or standing still is not failure. Because you think when you don't go forward in life, and you see all of the others just racing past you, then you become discouraged, you despair, and you are not in the moment that you should be. And because you are not in the moment, you miss the plan of God for you right there. Because we like to compare ourselves with others. 
And saints, I want you to know that when others races pass you, when others are faster than you, it does not dictate the end of that matter in your life. It might just be the start of big things. And God will cause speed and momentum to come upon you at the proper time where you will now also pick up that momentum in your life and you will move with greater speed because of the clarity of vision that you now have. Amen? I know that in church people always tell you things are going to be good tomorrow. Tomorrow's Monday, but they say tomorrow's going to be Friday. Every day is Christmas. No, it doesn't happen like that in the life of the believer. But the, be life, of, the life of the believer is a life of process. And once we understand the processes of God, the processes of life, then we will be content with where we are in life. Amen? We, we will not go into our future to borrow in our future so that we might bring that in our present. That's like uh, continually being in debt. You continue to borrow money from your future. You borrow because you are not content with where you are now. And so, our message this morning will be about apostolic people. Amen? It's a very strange title. Normally people will speak about your breakthrough, your prosperity, but this is important for you to know so that you can um, see yourself in the works of God. Amen? Come Teresa and read for us. Thank you, Pastor. John 9, verse 8 till 41. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? He said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they say to him, How are your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes, he said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him, that he had been blind and received his sight, until they called upon his parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he see now? His parents answered them and said, we know that he is our son, 
and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him, he will speak for himself. His parents said those things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore the parents said, he is of age, ask him. Verse 24. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses, and for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If the man were not from God, he could, not, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sin, and you are teaching us. And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to the man, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him. And it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Amen. So this is a story about the blind man that has been healed by Jesus. Jesus used a very peculiar tactic in opening his eyes where he mixed his spit with the sand and put it upon his eyes. And um, after that, he sent him to the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. Sent is the same word for apostolic. Apost the word apostolic comes from the Greek word apostelos. And it means one that is sent. When you go to Europe, the postman, the postman, the guy that delivers the, the mail, is called an apostelos, the postman. And so it is someone that brings the mail. Normally the postman does not look what's going on in your mail, isn't it? You get your mail the same way that it was dispatched by the sender. The early church, the Bible speaks of them in, in this way. That they continued steadfastly in the 
teachings of the apostles or apostolic doctrine, fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. That's in Acts 2.42. And so you have to ask yourself, if this church is the prototype of how church should be, then what, what are these four fundamentals all about? And although I'm not going to speak about the four fundamentals, the number one thing is that they continued in the teachings of the apostles or the teachings of the sent ones. We know that the apostles was previously, there was a tax collector, there were fishermen, and they had all these different occupations, but they became the disciples of Jesus. And that's the key to become the disciple of Jesus. And as they followed Jesus wherever he went, Jesus taught them. And the teachings that Jesus gave them became who they were. To, even to the place where they would give their lives to the Lord. Because previously, during the crucifixion of Jesus, all of them scattered. Peter stood by a fire and... Uh, Jesus said to him the night before, before the cock crows, you would have denied me three times. And he stood there and a little girl came to him and said, I recognize you, you were with the Galilean. And he said, no, I don't know the man. And then someone else came and said, we know you, you were with him. Uh, your speech gives you away. And he said, I, I do not know. And the Bible says he ran away and, and he heard the the cock crow and he ran away weeping. So they were in, in the time of, great, of the greatest need that Jesus had on the earth. They found themselves to be cowardice. They ran away. They confessed that I, I do not know him. Sometimes we become cowards in the way we represent Christ to the world. By the things we do and do not do. By the things we say and do not say. And uh, it is like there is this magnifying glass upon us to hear what we would say. When people say, but we know you, you are with them. You are all, you are with him. Say something or do something. It's like these silent voices that comes to our ears all the time. Don't you say that you are a believer? Don't you sing that you are sons of God? But why do you act like this? And it's like we become those cowards. We become like Peter. We become like Judas who betrayed him in our own ways. And in the moment that Jesus sought for someone to comfort him was when he was in the garden of Gethsemane where he prayed so earnestly that the Bible says that his sweat became like drops of blood. You know, there are people that have studied this and they say that you can be in so much stress that your sweat can literally become blood. That's how deep the stress levels can be upon a person. I know some of you have gone to, through times of depression and stress, but the stress that Jesus experienced in that garden was something that we probably never get to where our sweat will become like blood. Later on, these disciples became the most, this is after Jesus died, was buried and rose again and went to heaven. 
And he said to them, I will send you another comforter. And previously the Holy Spirit was not abiding or dwelling within them. They had Jesus. Jesus spoke to them and they had the presence of the Lord with them. But when Jesus was not there, they did not have that confidence. And we are like that sometimes, isn't it? When we are in church, we are full of confidence. We make decrees, declarations. We believe. Because that atmosphere in church is of such a nature that it impresses you to believe. It overshadows you. It compels you to believe. But when we are alone, it is difficult for us to believe. And so God, the great architect of the heavens and the earth, knew that the people of God were going to need that continuing abiding presence. And that's why he sent the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit is in a person, it is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is considered to be God himself. But sometimes we don't believe this. We don't believe that God can love in a man. But saints, this is the greatest desire of God. Did you hear that? The greatest desire of God is to love in you. And to functionally express himself through you. It's because the reason is because you are different than anybody else. And so God wants to show his difference through people, through just a man of dust. And he wants to show his magnificence through you. God wants to show his goodness through you. Amen. And so these men, these cowards, after they received the Holy Spirit, because Jesus said, go and wait in the upper room for the promise of the Holy Ghost. And you know the story in Acts chapter 2, how like a mighty rushing wind, the Spirit of the Lord came uh, while they were praying, sat upon them, and there appeared cloven tongues of fire. As this, and, and they began to speak in other languages. When the Spirit of God came that day in the upper room, the languages that the disciples spoke in was perceptible languages. It was not speaking in tongues, what the Apostle Paul speaks about, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14. They spoke in other perceptible languages. And so this alone was a great miracle. And the intention of God for doing that was that God now wanted this message that Jesus taught them for three and a half years to go into all the world. And the only way that this message would go into all the world is when people would speak the language of that specific nation or that tribe or that ethnic group. And so God endowed them with another language. The cloven tongues of fire that sat upon them was not the thing that you see in church where people call down fire. They want to somehow demonstrate their passion for the Lord. And they would call fire upon other people. I'll call the fire of God upon you, brother. And, and so they become sorcerers in their own right. The fire of God has nothing to do with the shenanigans in church. And you don't call upon fire 
when you need the intervention of God in your life. Because fire speaks of judgment. Fire speaks of burning. That's the nature of fire. Fire comes to purge and to purify. If you're ready for that, let God deal with that part of your life. Let God deal with the purification and the purging in your life. But let God be the instigator of fire. Don't you call for fire. I know maybe you have seen all kinds of commotions in the churches where you are or where you have been when the pastor just said fire people fell all over. Let me tell you saints of God, that is not from God. When you are in need and you need God's hand in your life, you need the word of the Lord. Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. There is spirit and life in the words of the believer when he speaks it. Even more so when he believes it. In the olden days, the spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, was not within a person. Before Jesus came, the spirit of God came upon them at times. When the priest would go and minister, the Spirit of God would come upon him and he would be anointed at that moment. When the king would make decrees, the Spirit of God would come upon him. When Samson did all his exploits, the Spirit of God came upon him. But the Spirit of God was not resident in them because he was not sent yet to be resident in them. He had to wait for all things to be fulfilled with regards to the sending of the Son and how the Son would send Him. I, this is a long introduction, but I think it's necessary. I haven't gone into the message yet. But when Jesus now came and left, He now sent the Holy Spirit. That word sent is the word apostelos, apostolic. But the Spirit of God was now sent to love in people. So there is a continual abiding of the Spirit of God in the man. Because of this, these men that previously ran away and denounced Jesus now became one of the greatest advocates of his name. To the point that they were martyred for his name. They were crucified upside down. And they didn't say we don't know him. In fact, the people that persecuted these disciples or apostles required of them, they said to them, you can, uh, you can live if you denounce this name of Jesus. And the fires would burn and the people would stand in the multitudes around the stake. And they say, we are not worthy to die like him on a cross. Turned me upside down. And they were burned upside down. Some were put in boiling, in a boiling pot of oil. Some were given to the lions. The only one uh, that died of natural causes was John the Revelator. In fact, they, they thought that they killed John after they burned him. And he survived the burning. These men would not compromise because of the power of the Holy Ghost in them. They say, I would rather die 
Man, I wonder if we would get there. I wonder if we would, you know, really resolve to rather die if someone comes and say, put a gun in front of your head, denounce Jesus or you die. You'll think about your children, your wife. You think about your dreams, all the things that you haven't done. But this is the requirement of a true disciple of the Lord. Amen. So these were the men that became the apostles. They had to go through all of these things. They received first-hand information from Jesus himself. They were the prototypes. It's not that they were the apostles and they've died and the age of the apostles are over. No, the Bible even speaks of Barnabas as an apostle who was not with the twelve. And so there were apostles after the original apostles. And so today, there are also apostles. Amen? And so I'm, I'm bringing you to what apostolic doctrine is all about. And I know I'm skipping a lot of things. I don't want to convince you that there are apostles today, that there are authentic apostles. But I know for sure that there are also false apostles. There, just like there are false prophets. Just like there are false pastors and false teachers. You only hear false prophets. But there are false pastors and teachers and all of these other gifts as well. The reason why they call called false is because they are not a true representative of the prototype which is Christ Jesus. Amen? One that comes in the name of another must represent that one and not his own interest. That's why the scripture says in Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the teachings of the apostles. The teachings of the apostles was foundationed upon Jesus Christ. Christ was the centrality of their message. In fact, they hardly spoke of the historical Christ, of the man, but they spoke of the transcended Christ. And you'll see that in the scriptures they relate to him as Jesus Christ, because they want to show some facet of his humanness, and sometimes they would relate to him in the scriptures as Christ, who was Jesus. When they put the word Christ first, they want to emphasize his transcendent nature of being God in the flesh. Amen? So there was this message. They did not just listen to the message, but it says they continued steadfastly. There was no casual dalliance concerning the message of Christ. There was no casual inquiry. But they really pursued the deep things about Christ. And it doesn't matter, saints, where you are in life, what you are pursuing, what your dreams are. You might be a child of 12 years. You might be an old person of 70 years old. This must be your pursuit in life to understand who Christ is and who you are in Christ. Because the scripture says if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Why new creature? Not new man. New creature. Because the dimensionalities in you supersedes that of time. You operate from the heavens although you are in the earth. Amen. You can touch all dimensions from time. That's that new creature. It's a new creature that overcomes the, his enemies 
even in their midst. He does not run away from his enemies, but he overcomes right there. Saints, if you are going through severe challenges, I want to encourage you not to run away from it. You must overcome right there in the midst of your enemies. Because the intention of the Lord is to prepare a table for you there. You must know when God brings a table that he is ready to sign a transaction with you. He's ready to make a contract with you. But if you run away, there will be no table. Overcome where you are. And the thing about overcoming is that you must overcome alone. If you struggle with addictions, you struggle with all kinds of challenges in life, your mother can't help you, your dad can't help you. It's the choices that you make that will allow you to overcome that thing. If you don't overcome it, five years along the line, that devil will come again. And he will come laughing at you. He'll come and say, come here you weak one. That's why you must make sure that you rule in the midst of your enemies. You rule at work where things are not too cozy for you. You rule in that place where there is financial lack. You become the ruler of principles. You don't become the ruler over people, but of principles. Those things must know that you are a principled man or a principled woman. And you know, it, it starts with the little things. This is how you uphold principles. By cleaning the house. Keeping things neat. Bringing order to your life and things like that. And that's where you become a king and a priest. Now, the, the scripture that Teresa read. There is a spiritual application of the man that was blind. He was blind from birth. But he was a man that walked around and people knew him. And sometimes we can be blind to the things of God. We can be blind to what God is doing now and what God is saying now. Saints, not every sound that you hear is an accurate sound. Don't when you just hear Jesus, then think that Jesus is there. In fact, I want to submit to you today. That not everyone that mentions the name of Jesus attracts the presence of Jesus. And then they use the scripture where, any, where, where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. No, the name of Jesus has very little to do with the noun. The noun speaks about just his name. But the gathering in the name of the Lord speaks about the verb that is in the name. The character traits that is behind the name. Because two or three gathers in Jesus' name, but in that gathering, they plan the downfall of the others. In that gathering, there's jealousies, envies, anger, fits of rage, bitterness. All of those vices are in that gathering. And you want to tell me that he's there? No, Jesus is attracted to the character that is placed in the people that represents his goodness. That's where he comes. You don't even have to pray. Lord, I pray that you come in this place. That's religious thinking. When you come there, he comes there. 
Your appearance must be the appearance of Christ to the people. And they will say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Look here, Brendan is coming. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. There is a demand today for the people of God really to become the people of God. Not just in name. Not just in affiliation to this church or in that, I mean that church. No, it's a time for you to now step up. Stop playing the games. Stop playing the religious games. And to really be who you are supposed to be. Man, it's either you in it or you out of it. You're wasting your time if you have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Why don't you just go to the world? Because that's where you want to be. Don't come to church once a month. Don't be amongst the saints every, every now and then. No, this, your life now changes for the better. Your life changes for the good. And do you know that God requires that you be amongst the saints? That's one of the requirements of the kingdom of God. You cannot exist alone. This man was born blind from, from birth. Same with Lazarus when he was raised up from the dead. He came forth, he was present, but he could not see. And it's like people in church, they are in church, but they can't see. There's no vision. The scripture says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And, and, and because this, this relates to the vision that I'm talking about. You can't assimilate the word of God. You don't understand it. And so you cannot see. And the blindness in your sight is like you have become this blind man. And you must go and wash at the pool. There was a man called Apollos. In the book of Acts. Let me just read this scripture. Acts 19.24 Now a certain Jew named Apollos born in Alexandria. If you were born in Alexandria, you were born in a place of intellectual opulence. It's where the intellectuals were. In Greece, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. He came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila and Priscilla heard him. Aquila and Priscilla were also some of the female disciples of Jesus. They heard him and they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. The way of God must be explained to you accurately. In fact, you must be able to explain the word of God more accurately. The scripture says that he was an accurate man. He was eloquent. He was fervent in the spirit. But those things are not enough for an apostolic people, a people that are sent by the Lord. There must be a more accurate way. When the scriptures are being brought to you, when you discuss it, when you dialogue around it, there must be a more accurate way concerning the scriptures. For instance, you buy a new car, you want the pastor to bless the car. 
Is that accurate? No, because a car is inanimate. You want the pastor to plead the blood of Jesus on the car? Is that accurate? No. It is because you've seen it done before and you've brought your, the traditions of men to your present life. And you think because it was done then, it, is, it should be done now. No. You, we must be more accurate than our predecessors. Uh, during the 80s, there was a lot of demons being cast out of people and in church. In fact, churches could not go on without the manifestations of demons. And people thought that those were powerful things, but they came to disrupt the meeting because they did not want the accurate speaking of God to go to the ears of the people. The people would say, man, the church was so powerful, the pastor didn't have even a chance to, to, to speak the word. It means that the pastor did not hear the word of God. Everything else must stop for the accurate speaking of God's word. Even if the saints, even if there's no singing, are you listening to me? Even if you just come in the house and the word is being relayed to you accurate, you have received that day what God has intended for you. But we are so bogged down upon singing, upon dancing, upon turning around and, and rolling on the floor and we think that's the power of God manifested. God's power manifests in His word. Oh, the singing was so powerful. We didn't have a chance to even... Speak the word. Yes, the singing can be powerful. Yes. And there can be a move of the spirit. Yes. People can be touched. People can fall under the power. People can cry and will cry. And people will bow down at, at the uh, descending presence of God. But after that, there must be a word released from the Lord. Even if it takes another hour, then you wait for the speaking of God. In the days of Nehemiah, the people will stand for a half a day on their feet as they would hear the priest read the word of God. Today we want quick services. We want the pastor to preach 10 minutes. There's no time for a flow. There's no time for fellowship. There's no time for the word to go out without the preacher being in a hurry. No, we must, when we come to the house of the Lord, we only come once a week, isn't it? I mean, some of you, many of you. Others come during the, the week also. That once a week when you come, you, you must say, is this all you're giving me? I come to get my full ration. Amen? Hallelujah. There is a more accurate way of God that must be explained to the people of God. A more accurate way. The word accurate is almost synonymous with being apostolic. When something is done, you must ask, what is the scriptural application? What is the scriptural reference for what I'm doing now? You can't, when you pray, Plead the blood, plead the blood, plead the blood. I plead the blood. You say you plead the blood because you've seen T.D. Jakes on TV say, I plead the blood. What scriptural references is there for that? Then you will take me to the, uh, the days of the Israelites. I know I'm, 
I'm rattling a lot of feathers today because people love the blood. Love to plead the blood on everything. On the chairs, on the door, on the, on the roof, on your shoes. You plead the blood. What's the accuracy about that? Do you know how sacred the blood of Jesus is? Do you know that when they, when they smeared the blood on the doors and on the lintels in the olden days, do you know those were prophetic pictures of Jesus? How the blood will be upon the door because I am the door of the sheep. So scripture must be interpreted by scripture. This is what apostolic is. We don't just do things because our parents did it or because the church down the road does it and everyone flocks to them. No, we don't do that. We want to be more accurate. And we don't want to be more accurate because we want to be better than people. Please just hear what I'm saying, saints. We want to be more accurate because we want to accurately represent Jesus Christ. Not about how wonderful and powerful we are and uh, the messages that we get. It's not about that. Because there's a lot of people that has this holier than thou mentality because they've come into the apostolic. They've just heard an, a few new words and now they think they are apostolic. It's not that. Amen.